Good morning, church family. My name is Randy, and we're going to be uh, looking at a passage of Scripture this morning, two passages of Scripture for our reading time, uh, for our Scripture reading. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and you'll find Luke chapter 8 on page 731 of your church Bibles that are in the pouch in front of you. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word uh, as your own and you'd like one, please take it and uh, put your name in it and take it home as our gift to you. I'm going to read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to read Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 41. Luke 8, 1 through 3, and then Mark 15, 33 to 41. And you can follow along with me. These verses are also up on the the screen behind me. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. That would be about three o'clock, sixth hour being noon, ninth hour being three in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine, vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. This is God's word. Oliver Sacks is a neurologist and professor in Columbia University. And in 1973, he wrote a book uh, called Awakenings. Uh, Some of you have seen the movie version of that book uh, featuring Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. And Awakenings is a powerful uh, story about some patients who were the victims of um, 
an epidemic that took place between the years 1917 and 1927. There was an outbreak of uh, encephalitis, and it left uh, those that, five million worldwide, those that were not killed, uh, uh, millions were really left uh, basically permanently disabled. And um, the effect of this form of encephalitis on these victims was, was very, very strange and bizarre and, and just very tragic and sad. Uh, these patients were left frozen in time. That is, they uh, were left in a trance-like state uh, for years and years and years, uh, decades. Uh, they were catatonic. They were, they were aware, but they were not awake. They were motionless. They were speechless. They were like living statues. If you could just imagine a, li- a living statue, they were in such a frozen state. Passive zombies. And Oliver Sacks chronicles treatment of 20 of these patients. And uh, one of them... And it's the person uh, whom uh, Robert De Niro plays in the movie Awakenings. This man's name is Leonard. And the thing that was spared about their condition was their intelligence, their uh, mental faculties, their imagination, even their humor. That was spared. They were entombed in this uh, in this body, and so Oliver Sacks could communicate with Leonard, and he did so. The only way Leonard could communicate was by tapping, tapping, uh, tapping out letters. And this is what he said when Sacks asked him, "How does it feel to be the way you are?" Leonard answered, "I have no exit. I am trapped in myself." This stupid body is a prison with windows and no doors. I feel caged. I feel deprived. And then when Leonard was asked how he felt about the hospital where he and the others were, this is what he said. He said, this place is a human zoo. It's just so, so sad. So tragic. Well, in 1969, Oliver Sacks began administering what was then called a miracle medicine, L-dopin. And it it acted in a miraculous way. Um, Leonard was the first to receive this medicine, and he received it every day for 14 days. Nothing happened. On day 15, there was an awakening. I mean, it was just like, uh, well, here. Leonard could walk. He could write. He could type. He could get up. He could speak. And remember, since these folks had been sick since the late 20s, um, it was like they were lost in time. So they... It wasn't to them 69, it was like 29, 1929, 1930. But Leonard said it was like waking up from a nightmare, someone released from prison. And he, 
He was suddenly, listen to this, he was suddenly intoxicated with the sense and beauty of of everything around him. He would touch flowers and, and kiss them and put them on his lips. And when he was asked how he felt, he responded, he said this. He said, I feel saved. I feel saved. This once entombed person was resurrected and awakened. I feel saved. And, you know, I read that story. I'll I'll tell you the rest a little later on. But I'm thinking, now, who's that like? Who's that like? I know. That's like Mary Magdalene. That's who that's like. I mean, that's what you were thinking, right? You say, Mary Magdalene, where does he get that? Well, that's why. Walk with me, okay? Walk with me here. I want us to talk about Mary Magdalene uh, this morning in our series at the cross. We've been uh, listening to the stories of people who knew Jesus and people affected by Jesus. Last week it was Barabbas, and then there was been Mary of Bethany, and then Judas, and today it's Mary Magdalene. And I want to answer three questions about her life this morning. The first question is, who was she? Who was Mary Magdalene anyway? Let's learn a little bit about her. The second question is, what happened when she met Jesus? What happened to her? What what difference did Jesus make in her life? And then the third question I want us to answer this morning is, what's the significance for today? What's our take home, all right? Uh, What's the the so what about her life for us here 2,000 years later? So let's learn And let's start with the first question, who was Mary Magdalene? Well, let's, here's who she wasn't. We need to scrape the varnish off of her, all right, a little bit, because we've, I think we've been misled. Here's who she wasn't. First of all, she was not a prostitute. She wasn't. Now, if you had seen the Passion of the Christ, you would come to the conclusion, wouldn't you, that Mary Magdalene was this was this prostitute, you know? And, and, and by the way, this is really important because when we get to heaven, you know, we're going to be, the, you know, okay, we're, remember, you know, we are, when we get to heaven, we're going to meet the, 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 the Middle Eastern, just inside the wall, the Middle Eastern gate. That's where our gathering is, right? And we're going to go talk with Mary Magdalene. We're, we're not going to be embarrassed when we meet up with her because so many are going to say, oh, you're Mary Magdalene. You're the prostitute, right? Well, how would you like that if someone said, oh, you're Randy. You were a pastor. Before that, you were a prostitute. Well, you're going to get slapped. Well, I'm so... No, there's nothing in the Bible that even hints at her being a prostitute. Uh, I said, well, why would people think that? Well, uh, <laughs> the earliest we hear of her being labeled this prostitute was five centuries after she lived. Talk about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree type of tale. And I think what happened was is that uh, this mistaken pastor identified her in Luke 8 with the sinful woman at the end of Luke chapter 7 and then assumed that the reason why the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7, her sinfulness was that she was a prostitute. And so you got to take two big leaps to make that erroneous conclusion. No, she wasn't a prostitute. That's the deal. Furthermore, the second thing that 
we know she wasn't, was she was not the wife of Jesus, okay? She was not the wife of Jesus who gave birth to a holy race upon moving to France. That's just not true, okay? It's not. And, and you know, uh, you know, the Dan Brown would have us think otherwise and show us the Da Vinci uh, Code Last Supper, and then he would, would zoom in on the Last Supper, and he would show us that the person sitting to the right of Jesus there at the table really wasn't a disciple. It was, the, it was just kind of Mary in disguise. And then Dan would then tell us, well, you know, upon closer examination, uh, there's a, a V there, and that's really a symbol of a chalice and a sacred holy grail of uh, feminine fertility. I'd really rather not get into that. And, and then if you, you know, then if you take her and then you, you know, put her on the other side, she's kind of leaning up against Jesus and it matches really well. And then after that, well, what you need to do is then you, should, you can add me and my two Turkish friends because, because that's what you can do when you have PowerPoint. You can just make it up as you go. And so, I don't know. And the, and the thing of it is, university-trained people believe this. Oh, my. But we don't. Right? Right? Right. Get it? Good. Nowhere prior to the crucifixion does the Bible record Jesus and Mary Magdalene having a conversation. It's just, you know, or being alone. I mean, she's always mentioned with other women in a group setting, and she's mentioned first with her prominence and, and uh, probably leadership. So, so that's who she wasn't. She wasn't a prostitute, and she wasn't married to Jesus and all of that. Well, who was she? Well, well we know this. She's from town, the city, actually, of Magdala. Where's that? Well, it's on the Sea of Galilee. It's on the northwest corner, and uh, that was a fishing community, and it was a vibrant fishing community, and it was a beautiful area, fertile land, abundant. It was a fishing kind of industry uh, town, and it actually wasn't known in the first century so much by uh, the town Magdala, uh, across the empire, it, it had a Greek name. And so there was a Greek or Hellenistic influence. And so, uh, and it, it was a, it was a, a city of 40,000. Well, you say, well, that's the size of Urbana. That's a kind of a town. Well, to us, that's a town. But in the first century, that's a city. So she's very urban. And she's been influenced. It, the, the, uh, Magdala had felt more like Chicago to her than downstate. And so... That's where she was from. And, and here's, we, we know this too. We know that she came from money. Luke chapter 8 verse 3 says, these women, and she is included in that, were helping to support them out of their own means. Out of their own means. So, you know, I don't know how her family got the money they had. Maybe it had to do with the community where they were in, in the fishing industry. But, but they had the means to be able to support the, this Jesus community and Jesus ministry. And, and why did they support his ministry? I think Luke chapter 8, verse 2 in the Bible tells us 
they had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. So Mary's no prostitute. She was a sufferer. She was this pathetic woman afflicted by demons that caused sicknesses, and she was the victim of demonic possession, meaning that she had, she had little or no self-possession or self-control. Her life had been this strange and monstrous ex- existence. The, the, the Bible doesn't depict Mary as this wild and depraved woman with a sordid past. She's a sufferer. She, she's evil forces had inflicted all sorts of psychological harm. In, in the Gospels, demon possessions uh, exhibited diverse symptoms. In some cases, the sufferer was deaf. In others, the, the sufferer could not speak. In other cases, the sufferer had epileptic seizure. In other cases, still, the sufferer would, 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 would suffer from a curvature of the spine. And... and, and she was afflicted with seven, and that number means um, the, that the power of evil over her was total and complete. She'd lost all self-possession. Her voice was unrecognizable, something alien and evil stared out of these mad eyes of hers. And at times, she had to be restrained from hurting others. At other times, she had to be restrained from hurting herself by others. Such afflicted people were not you know, evil, in a sense. Rather, they were afflicted by evil. And the word that comes to my mind is the word that Leonard used, caged. Caged, deprived. And some of us feel that way too, don't we? Not that we're demon-possessed. Not all of us. But we're caged. Stuck. Stuck. We're stuck. Anybody here feel stuck today? Anybody here experiencing a season of being stuck? Stuck like a living statue kind of stuck? Stuck in a spiritually and emotionally exhausting season. Stuck in your physical health. Stuck in your rehabilitation. Stuck in your emotional health. Stuck in a when is this going to end chapter of life. Stuck, caged, and looking for deliverance. Remember that part of the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Does anybody here need to be delivered today? What's that like? What would that be like if we were? Well, I think Mary helps us. I really do. Mary tells us. Mary's life informs us. Mary, and we don't know how that happened. We don't know, we don't know the story of her uh, uh, redemption from these seven demons. We just know about it after the fact. But Jesus met her and Jesus delivered her. 
And Jesus made it clear to his followers they were, they were not to fear demons. They, they were not. Christ's power always trumps Satan's power. Uh, as Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. And, and, and Jesus never needed magic ritual. He just he commanded, and the demons fled, and Mary was free. And that's what we need to understand here about the power. Satan's power Satan's a parasite, and his power over us is, his power over us only has to do with our sin, you see. And, and as long as we're still accounted guilty before the heavenly judge, then Satan has solid legal grounds to accuse us. But once the debt has been paid, once the penalty has been administered, then Satan's head is crushed and he falls from heaven like lightning. And he no longer has an airtight case against God's people. In fact, he has no case at all because we are free. And that's the gospel. That was the gospel that Mary experienced. The gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ and his power transforms lives And through this gospel, we are freed and we have a new identity. And we're not identified with our past. No longer was Mary identified as being someone possessed by seven demons. Her identity was based in Christ because of Christ. Her identity was not based on her race or her gender or her social class or any systems of rules and regulations. Rather, it was a perfect identity based solely on Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And we're forgiven Through him we are declared righteous, adopted, accepted, free. And everything that belongs to Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, now belongs to us. We are heirs. Through Christ, we don't have to hide and pretend we are free. And that's why we passionately pursue him around here. And that's why Mary did. And she did. She did. That last verse that I read in Mark's gospel has, has rich meaning in it. 1541 says, In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Some of your translations say, followed and ministered. Or followed and served. And and. Mark, is, Mark has used those words in his gospel all throughout the gospel to explain what a disciple of Christ looks like. It, it, you know, so often we, we, we default into a task list when asked, well, what's a Christian? Oh, well, a Christian, you know, and we just, you know, we, we just kind of zip off the task list. Christian goes to church. A Christian prays, a Christian does this, and then this, and then this. And, and Mark says, oh, no, 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 I mean, he's, he's using two words throughout, throughout his entire gospel to define a Christian. A Christian is one who follows. And by, by this, we're not just, by 41 is not just saying, and they shadowed Christ. No, no, they followed him, indicating there's a life change. There's a change in your life situation, and they ministered. They served. To be a Christian is to follow and serve, follow and minister. And that's exactly what Mary did. And 
that's question number two. What happened when she met Jesus? Well, when she met Jesus, when Jesus changed her life, she followed and she served. And that's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a follower. And, and she happened to follow and serve with what she had, her means, and she supported and, and, she, and that means she left her social economic background, you see. She, and, she, and she descended down, she descended into greatness. And she served those who, who she otherwise wouldn't have anything to do with. And you know what? I see that on Friday nights with Celebrate. I see that as, as people are gathered from all sorts of different backgrounds and they have one thing in common. They were possessed and now they're free. And that was Mary's life. She left. She left her boundaries in the name of Christ to serve people she wouldn't otherwise serve. And she experienced the joy and the utter freedom of being a servant. This is what I was made for. This is why I was born. And some of you know what this is like because you know, you, know, you know how things were in your life 10 years ago or five years ago or 12 months ago and then you met Jesus and now you are following and serving, following and serving. You have been delivered from the self-centered kingdom of one into the blue sky kingdom of God's son. And wow. This is why I'm here. Oh, it's an awakening. <laughs> yeah. You know, when Leonard experienced his awakening, he said, he used these words, it's like a rebirth. It was like a coming alive. It was like a resurrection. He said this, he said, I feel like a man in love. I feel like I've broken through the barriers. If only it could last. If only. Some of you know his story. Some of you have read the book. You know that it didn't last. This awakening happened for maybe a summer, the summer of 69, and, 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 and by that fall, by Christmas, it was, like the, it was like the lights had just gone out again. He was back in his cocoon. And you know the tragedy of that, the sadness, is I think of what, what must he have been feeling as he was experiencing the lights dim and the doors close and he was going back into his cocoon, uh, a sort of, you know, a flowers for Algernon kind of a, a, a tragic journey, uh, Leonard's awakening. And, and I think, well, I, I think about Mary. I do. I think about Mary Magdalene because, you see, you know, she had been delivered and redeemed, but then she started hearing Jesus talk about things pertaining to his death. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And, and then later on, she would hear in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, this Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. What's, what's up with that? And, and then in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, I mean, Jesus cites the city 
We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later, he will rise. And, and, and it was like, what are we talking about? And then Palm Sunday comes when Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. That doesn't sound like the lights are going out. But then on that Friday, there he was on the cross. There he was. I mean, he who had driven the evil from her life was now being killed by that evil. The one who had liberated her from such violent oppression was now suffering the oppression himself. Was this just a joke? Was it all been, had it all been just a hoax? Was, was it all for nothing? How did Mary feel as she overheard Jesus being mocked? So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. And of course, that's the point, isn't it? In order to save others, he, he can't save himself. <laughs> see, 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 this is the mystery of salvation, isn't it? That, that Jesus, Jesus did not speak evil into annihilation. Let evil be annihilated forever. That's, he, that's not how it happened. He entered evil. He reached the lowest depths where the most desolate of the world lie helpless. He entered that very prison of evil and darkness. The, the evil of the seven demons that had enslaved Mary. He entered into that. He lay among the charred bodies of the babies in Auschwitz. He sat in the isolated darkness of the condemned cell. He was there in the Twin Towers when they collapsed. He died the death of the most abandoned so that even the most abandoned might share in his resurrection by grace through faith. He entered the darkness to defeat the darkness. For on the cross, evil exhausted itself upon him. Evil spent itself upon him. Evil burned its fuel on him. So that by grace through faith in him, we might experience his resurrection. Oh, how could Mary have understood that? How could she have understood it? How could she have said, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. I mean, she didn't. The others didn't. And this is what I want you to get about her life. This is what's important about her life. She didn't get it. And she was still there. She was, where's the 12? Where's the men? It's the women who are there. And why? Because she's a follower of Christ, you see. See, see, to be a Christian, to be a disciple, means to follow Christ wherever Christ goes, even if I don't understand it. Even in the darkness, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
Jesus, I cannot see you, but I know you can see me. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going away. You hear Mary's life? You hear what makes it so significant? That, that, that day, day by day, and we don't hear much about her. That, what I'm telling you pretty much describes her life. But, but day by day, she just, she just did the, 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 the long, obedient walk in the same direction, consistently enduring, patient, walking with Jesus, no matter where Jesus is, whether she understands it or not, in daylight or at night, Wherever Jesus is, that's where she's going to go. And she did that. And that's the message that we need to take from her life. Well, our small group is uh, studying a book these days by David Platt. It's called Radical. It's really good. I'd recommend it for your small group. And it's uh, the subtitle, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. And it's about using the resources God has given us uh, in all of the dimensions of those resources, our time, our talent, our treasure, for the good of God's people, for the glory of God in, in sacrificial, radical ways. And... Uh, our small group has kind of experienced an awakening. I mean, it's been wonderful. It's not like we were zombies beforehand, but it was just, you know, it was just, this has just been, you know, kind of a jolt. It's wonderful. And so, uh, I drive away with Sarah and our small groups, and we're challenged by what's going on, and and then other nights, I'm just depressed. I am. I'm just depressed. Because, you know, we've been reading some chapters in this book, and they talk about martyrs and people who are shot for their faith or burned at the stake. And it's like, man, I guess you can't be a Christian in Champaign-Urbana. Nobody's shooting at me. Nobody's <laughs> torturing me. Nobody's persecuting me. It's, I kind of feel inadequate, you know? And it's like... You know, wow. I think about that old hymn, you know, Are ye able, are ye able, said the Master, to be crucified with me? Yea, the sturdy dreamer's answer, to the death we follow thee. And I think, well, are you able? Well, I, I'd like to think I am. I, I hope I am. I mean, And I think about maybe scenarios where I'd be called to. You know, after first service, I'm out there in the foyer and I'm meeting with people and I see a three-year-old just kind of wander out into the parking lot. I race across the foyer and crash through those glass doors and scoop up that three-year-old, fling him aside just at the last minute for being before being mowed down by Jason Weatherholt's SUV. <laughs> what, what was he leaving so early for anyway? I, he, he had another service. What's up with that? And then I expire. Or, or you know, or, or maybe I'm just in here. You know, preaching away, and all of a sudden, the doors burst open, and armed guards come in, and 
surround the pulpit and the lieutenant ties me to the pulpit and, you know, this is your last chance. Deny Christ and live. And I'm, Lord, we are able. Our spirits are thine. Ready? Remold and make. Re- aim like the fire. The body slumps. Flags at half mast. <laughs> Sarah weeps all afternoon. And, 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 then, and then the elders, the elders put a plaque right here, you know? This is, this is where our beloved pastor gave his life, and, and people come and bring their cameras, and Johnny, stand here where Pastor Randy gave his life. Let's get your picture. Nobody told me that in Champaign-Urbana I couldn't write just one big check. In fact, I've been a Christian almost 40 years and I haven't written one big check. I've been writing a lot of little checks. You know, 87 cents here, dollar and a quarter there, a bag of Groceries for the food pantry, also you bring them in. Week upstairs with our children's ministry. Writing a lot of little checks, week after week after week. And the ten great dates, that's a little check that you're writing for the good of your marriage. Going on a missions trip, weekend of service coming up. You spend your whole life writing checks and By the time you're as old as Fred Smith was from our church, when he died a few weeks ago at 96 years of age, he'd been written, he'd written so many checks. People even, people wondered, well, did did he really sacrifice? Yeah, of course, yes, he did. And you are. And Mary has. See, that's Mary's message to us. She shows up there on that first day of the week. She shows up on that first day of the week. Not because she suddenly remembered, oh, three days later he said he was going to rise from the dead. Let's just go check it out. No. She's there because she wasn't able to finish burying her master and Lord from Good Friday. And so she goes. She goes to to hold that corpse one more time and to prepare that body. And If nothing else was going to happen in her life, she was just going to return to that tomb just to remember how good it had once been because she was going to follow Jesus wherever Jesus was. And little did she know that first day of the week that a voice was going to call her name from behind. Little did she know that she would see the risen Christ. And little did she know that she would be commissioned to be, as some scholars have called her, the first 
apostle. Go and tell my brothers. Go. And she went and she delivered the first gospel message. I have seen the Lord. Oh my. Well, we are her descendants. Yeah. The long obedience in the same direction. Following Christ, serving in the day, in the darkness, in cloudy weather, in the winter, in the spring, every day, entrusted with this message, I've seen the Lord. Will you go?